Tonight, we've got one of my really good friends, uh, as you've heard me say many times, from the great country of Texas. So I have brought in one of my good friends. In fact, uh, his name is Chris Dupree, and we are actually in the same doctoral program together. Um, and so he can verify that I actually am in school, if you were wondering. Um, but the most amazing thing about Chris is we actually met when we were in seminary together over 20 years ago uh, in Fort Worth, Texas at Southwestern Seminary and got to know each other then. And then throughout, we were both doing student ministry at the time. In fact, he actually had me come and speak at his student camp years and years ago. Uh, and we were still friends after that, which is amazing. Um, and so it really is a privilege to have him here. Uh, he's got a lovely wife, four kids. Uh, so I'm sure he's got all kinds of stories, but he pastors a great church down in South Texas, literally right on the border in McAllen, Texas, and has just done a phenomenal job. Multi-campus church, multi-ethnic church, and really doing some great, great ministry. And so I'm so excited for you because he's my friend, but I'm also excited to you because he's an incredible pastor. So give it up for Pastor Chris Dupree. Right, Revolution Church, how are we doing tonight? Excellent, I love it. Hey, just so you know, your excitement is gonna work to your advantage tonight um, because I'm a better preacher whenever you amen and clap and praise the Lord. Yeah, so here's the reality. If tonight doesn't go well, it's 51% your fault. All right, I'll take 49. Uh, and there's actually another secret you should know about my preaching. Every amen or every applaud or every praise the Lord takes five minutes off the length of the sermon. Um, and every awkward silence adds 30 minutes. So, I, <laughs> don't abuse your power. Uh, it is such a privilege to be with you tonight. As Jason said, uh, we have been friends for a long time, and I consider it a great privilege to call him a friend. And I know you know this, but you have a phenomenal pastor. Uh, in Jason, Pastor Jason, and uh, of course, his secret sauce is his wife, Lindsay, and so um, what an honor to be here. I don't take it lightly. Uh, Jason, thanks for the invitation and trusting me with your teaching platform tonight. Um, as you've been journeying through this time of prayer and fasting and talking about what it means to abide in Christ, I wanted to make sure that I could uh, kind of weave the thread somewhat with where you've been, so I took a look at last week's message and in the way God has ordained things as Pastor Jason was talking about the life of Moses from the book of Numbers. We're gonna talk about the life of Moses tonight as well. Uh, you've been talking about what it means to abide. I love the illustration that Pastor Jason has used that Jesus as the vine is the source of life, right? Uh, the, the, the disciplines of the faith, like the involvement with the body of Christ and getting in the word of God and healthy prayer life, those are structures with the trellis that support us in staying connected to the source. And what I wanna do tonight for just a few moments looking at the life of Moses, by the way, if you have a copy of God's word with you, digital or physical, why don't you go ahead and meet me in Exodus chapter three tonight. That's where we're gonna get to in just a moment, Exodus chapter three, and then if you wanna kinda mark it, we're gonna jump to Deuteronomy 32 in just a few moments after that. What I wanna do is to wrap this time up for you tonight as we think about abiding in Christ in that famous John 15 passage and what does it mean to remain in him and, and he remains in us, what does it mean to, to, to use these structures or trellises of the faith, these disciplines, what does it mean to truly abide? What does it look like 
when, when it, it isn't Saturday night worship night or Sunday morning gathering? What does it look like on the day-to-day? And this isn't gonna be new information, but what I believe many times for us as Christ followers is that it's not new information that we need, it's mastering the old information that we've forgotten, right? And so that, that's what I wanna do, is, is I wanna talk about things that you are already aware of. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun, and I promise you I'm not a good enough preacher to come up with something you hadn't heard yet. But I do believe the timeless word of God never returns void. And I think if we'll open our hearts and our ears and our minds for just a few moments tonight, it might be that God has a fresh challenge for us from some very familiar scriptures. And so that's what I wanna do. We're gonna look at the life of Moses. This is gonna be different than the way I normally teach. We're gonna bookend his life. We're gonna start early in his life, and then we're gonna go to his death. And I hope tonight that we can talk a little bit more as you wrap up your time of prayer and fasting about what it means when this ends to not cease the abiding, but to have it be a regular part of your rhythm of life. So as we're ready to get into God's word, would you pray with me for just a moment? Father, tonight I am thankful for this opportunity to be with your people. God, I am thankful for the invitation you have given us to life and life to the fullest. And I'm thankful that when we walk away, you stay faithful. When we check out, you welcome us back. And tonight, God, as we, as we seek to practice abiding together as a family, would you remind our hearts once again of the treasure that is King Jesus? Would you overwhelm our souls with the grace that we've been given to challenge us to hold more firmly to life that's hidden in Christ. And Father, should there be someone in this room or even watching online that has yet to trust Jesus as their true source of life, I pray tonight would be the night of salvation and that their life would begin anew. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, well, you're probably familiar with the story of Moses, but I don't wanna assume that everyone's on the same page. And so before I jump to Exodus chapter three, let me set the stage for a moment. Uh, there, there it was a, a time when things were looking good for the people of Israel. That would be the end of the beginning of the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Things were looking favorable after Joseph had gone to Egypt after being sold to, uh, to slavery by his brothers, and then God elevated him basically to be the prime minister, and, and then his people found refuge. And so the, the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, ends with Israel in a relatively good place, but the second book of the Bible, it's like a Quentin Tarantino movie, it just takes a hard turn, right? I've never seen one of those movies myself, but all you sinners clearly have, and so, can we have prayer time now? Yeah, okay. Now, Exodus opens, and, and, and the summary of what happens in Exodus is that 400 years passed, and a new king of Egypt, that was the world power, right? The new king of Egypt forgot Joseph. And so Israel, the people of Israel, were slaves. But what was happening is they were, they were multiplying quickly. You're, I guess in slavery, there's not much to do, so. I'm gonna let that get to the back of the room. I can joke like that, I'm leaving tomorrow, so. But as, as the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, realized that his free workforce was growing in number, he, he told his officials, if they realize that there's more of them than us, they'll stage a coup and, and we're out of luck. And so what he said to the Hebrew midwives that would be delivering the children, he said, listen, if a, if a girl is born, a daughter, she can live, but every male must be, must be executed. 
And so this woman gave birth to this child, this male Hebrew baby, and he was beautiful and she couldn't bring herself to hand him over. And so she tried to raise him as long as she could and hide him, but the time came that she could no longer hide the child. And so she would take the child and place him in a basket and then put him in the river. But it wasn't this kind of willy nilly, you know, no thought. She placed him along the reed. So intentionally there would be a guiding process. And that basket would be found by none other than the daughter of the king. And she would see that it was a Hebrew baby boy, but he was beautiful. She would take him back to the palace. She would need someone to nurse, so lo and behold, God coincidence, that baby's own mother would nurse him. And if you're not familiar with the story, that baby is Moses. And so Moses would grow up in the court of Pharaoh, and I think what an interesting life he must have lived, right? He's a, he's a Hebrew child, and he knows he's different, but he's really not quite Hebrew. And he's, he's been raised in the court of Pharaoh, but he's not quite Egyptian. And one day, as he's kind of out checking things out, he, he sees Egyptian taskmasters mistreating his people. In a fit of rage, he kills one of them, tries to cover up the evidence. After that, he would see two of his own people, two Hebrews, arguing and fighting, and he, he tries to break it up. And one of them says, what are you going to do, kill us like you did the Egyptian? And so out of fear for his life, he would flee Egypt, and he would go and spend 40 years in a land called Midian. He would meet his wife there, and he would begin to tend sheep in Midian. And it was while he was in Midian that something spectacular happened. This is where we're going to start our time in the text today. So if you're there, Exodus chapter 3, it says this in verse 1. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. And as Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? Verse four, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, Moses called out to him. God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place we are standing is holy grounds. As you close out this 21 days of prayer and fasting, but as I encourage you to not stop, to not cease abiding, but continue, continue on, what I want to say to you tonight is this, is that abiding is practiced by paying attention to the presence of God. Abiding, remaining, staying connected to the source, all of those structures, those disciplines, what they're rooted in, abiding is practiced. It is fleshed out by paying attention to the presence of God. In this very well-known passage, what I want to point out is this, is that as Moses is tending his sheep, he catches, maybe from the corner of his eye, from his peripheral vision, he sees this bush that is on fire but yet isn't being consumed, and he says to himself, I must go over and see this sight. I gotta check this out. And then verse four, what did it say? It said that after God saw, I'm rephrasing here, after God saw that Moses turned aside, that's the literal phrasing in the language, Moses turned aside, and after he turned aside, what did God do? He spoke. He spoke. After Moses paid attention, 
Then God told him what he had to say. Now you may say, well, Chris, I promise you if I ever see a bush on fire that's not burning, I'll pay attention also. I've thought that myself, guys. Listen to me, beloved. I, I, I've thought, you know, God, if just every, like, I, I'm a man of, of pretty reasonable faith, but every once in a while, if I could get one of these great spectaculars of the Old Testament, that would really kind of bolster my faith, God. But this is what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that you and I so many times go through our days and we miss the burning bushes that are there. Because when we, when we call out, God, if you would just give me a burning bush moment, don't miss this, guys. What the burning bush was to Moses one time, the indwelling Holy Spirit is all the time for you and I. We don't have to have a burning bush. We've got God not, not among us, right? That was what Pastor Jason talked about, the cloud of fire and, cl- and the, 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 the pillar of cloud and fire. That was God among the people. It's not even Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. We have the Spirit, God in us, calling us to pay attention to where God is moving. And I, I know in my life so many times when I'm struggling with the abiding in Christ what the root cause is, I'm just not slowing down long enough to pay attention to where God is moving. You know, so many times we've bought this honey dip lie that says, well, you know, I want to be more disciplined. I want to have my quiet times. I want to be more faithful to, to the church. I, I, I want to start serving. I, I want to get in a group. I want to have a discipleship group. I want to I do these things. But, you know, the kids are in select sports and work is really crazy and it's hunting season and it's football season and, and, and I just don't have time. You know, I've always been a relatively type A person, kind of a hard charger. And when I started off in ministry in my early 20s, like Pastor Jason in student ministry, man, I ran hard, I ran fast. But you know what I wasn't prepared for? I wasn't prepared for the day that my life outside of the church was actually crazier than my life inside the church. As Pastor Jason said, I'm, I'm, I'm 44 years old and I have four children, two in high school, one in middle school, one in elementary school. I am, I am an unpaid Uber, guys. I just drive them around. Just drive them around. And, and, and I love my life. I mean, uh, today, the, the, the timing, I'm so thankful to be here, but the, when the timing uh, for, for me to come, when I accept the invitation, I didn't realize that actually today my, my oldest son played a basketball game and won the district championship, right? Yeah, you better clap for that one. And what I'm saying is I love watching my kids grow up and I love going to their concerts and their games. I I love the life that I get to live, but my life in church and out of church, for you it's in work and out of work, my life is crazy. But the truth is I can't say that I don't have time, I simply don't make time. And abiding in Christ is not this half-time thing. It's It's not meant to be on and off. Praise God for his grace that always welcomes us back. But truly abiding and knowing John chapter 10, verse 10, life to the fullest and and knowing the the never leaving, forsaking presence of God, we must be a people that like Moses here in Exodus 3, we turn aside to say, God, where are you working? We don't wait for the great spectaculars. We, We look for where he's at work and we jump in with him. And we do that by committing to these disciplines that you're practicing in these 21 days. We do it by saying, I will get in the word of God. I will feed my soul. I will commit to these things so I can see where God is at work. 
And the reality is this. Busyness is, is part of life. It's not a terrible thing. I think Jesus was a pretty busy guy. It's not busyness, it's hurriedness that's killing our souls. Don Ortberg said that it's, it's not a disordered schedule. It's not a disordered schedule that is the result of a hurried life. It, it's a disordered heart. My question tonight, beloved, is for some of us, is our, are our hearts disordered? Do, do our values not represent that abiding in Christ is our chief affection? We've, we, we've been sucked into a pace of life that's so frenetic. As Pastor Lance Witt says, you, you can't live your life at warp speed without warping your soul eventually. And as Moses is tending, the, tending his sheep, what does that mean for you and I? He was doing what he did every day. He was teaching. He, he was in business. He, he, he was in this industry or that industry. Yes, he was raising kids. As he was living his life, he turned aside. And in his turning aside, God spoke. And in, and in that speaking, Moses' life was forever changed. Because when, when we turn our ears to Jesus and he speaks. We're never the same. We're never the same. And I know probably many of you, you're, you've built in faithful rhythms to your life. You have a religious activity that matches your relational identity in Jesus. But maybe for someone, what, what you need to hear tonight is that the last few days or weeks or months and that lack of rhythm, you, you don't have to accept that as the norm. But you can turn aside tonight. You say, it's been so long, Chris, I don't even know where to start. Listen, if that's you, just go to, just go to the Psalms. Don't say, I'm going to read the Bible in 90 days. Not going to happen, guys. If you haven't read it in 90 days, you're not going to read it in 90 days. Just saying it like it is. But, but you could read the first five psalms in the next seven days. Listen, I'll try to be real practical. It, it, it'll take you about two minutes to read one of those psalms. And if you looked at your life and it doesn't reflect paying attention to the presence of God, what if tonight before bed or tomorrow morning before church you got up and you read Psalm 1 and take you two minutes? And what if after reading it you just... You just thought for a minute about what you just read. And what if after thinking, you just wrote a note, take you two minutes about what you just thought about. And what if after writing, you just prayed about what you just wrote about. And then what if you just read it again just to hide God's word in your heart so you won't sin against it? You know what you just did? You just spent about 10 minutes. And I promise you, God's always more concerned about the quality of time than the quantity of time. Quantity of time. But here's the other thing. The more time you spend with him, the more time you wanna spend with him. The more you start turning aside, the more you start turning aside in your private life. Here, here's the deal. This is what I found. The more I turn aside in my private life, the more burning bushes I see throughout my day. Abiding in Christ is not a great myth, and it's not unattainable, but it is practiced in the daily discipline of paying attention to the presence of God, of knowing that he's at work 
And that if you've said yes to Jesus, by his grace, he has invited you into that work with him. So Moses speaks, God speaks to Moses. If you don't know the story, he tells him he has a job for him. The, preceding, the following chapters, God would tell Moses he's gonna to go to Egypt, to Pharaoh, and he is going to call for the release of his people. And after several attempts and, and Pharaoh not listening and backing down and backing, going back on his word and, and plagues and all these things, finally the people of Israel are indeed freed. And they would go to the wilderness, and, and I, I don't have time tonight to go through all of that, so I encourage you, your homework assignment tonight, just read real quickly the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Just, <laughs> it'll take you slightly longer than the first psalm, but I think you can get it done tonight. But Moses would go on this great adventure. And you'll have to take my word for it if you haven't read those books, but what you see in Moses is a continual practice of turning aside. Exodus 32, 33, 34, he would go to this tent of meeting where God would meet with him like one friend meets with another. He would practice paying attention to the presence of God. And, and let me just kind of not bury the lead here. This is where I'm gonna go. That there is a great reward when we do that. When we practice paying attention to the presence of God through, through the gathered body of Christ, through the private disciplines that you've already talked about for four weeks, when we practice that and we become more aware of God's presence and what he's doing, something powerful happens. So let's jump to the end of the story of Moses and take a look at what I think is a pretty interesting end to this life. Deuteronomy chapter two, if you've turned there, I'm gonna to go to verse 48. It says this, on that same day, the Lord spoke to Moses, go up Mount Nebo in the Abram range in the land of Moab across from Jericho and view the land of Canaan I'm giving the Israelites as a possession. And then you will die on the mountain that you go up and you'll be gathered to your people just as your brother Aaron died on Mount Or and was gathered to his people. For both of you broke faith with me among the Israelites at the waters of Meribat Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin by failing to treat me as holy in their presence. Although from a distance you will view the land that I am giving the Israelites, you will not go there. If you would turn over just a page or two to Deuteronomy chapter 34. This is a long text, but if you would follow along with me. Deuteronomy chapter, th chapter 34, verse one, it says this. <clears throat> and then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which faces Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the plain in the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you will not cross into it. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the Lord's word. He buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, facing Bet Peor, and no one to this day knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not weak and his vitality had not left him. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid hands on him. 
And so the Israelites obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. No prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do against the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to all his lands, and for all the mighty acts of power and terrifying deeds that Moses performed in the sight of all of Israel. I'm gonna confess something. You know, I've been following Jesus for a while, I've been in ministry for nearly 25 years. The end of the life of Moses has always bothered me, guys. I just wanna confess that and pray for your brother, all right? See, in, in Exodus 3, God spoke to Moses, and if I would have kept reading, he would have said, I'm gonna send you to my people for their cries have risen up to me. And then through several chapters, again, those famous 10 plagues, and then their release, finally, finally the, the, the firstborn Egyptian children would be, would be taken by the angel of death, and, and Pharaoh would finally say, get out of here. And Moses and the nation of Israel, which depending on who you read, is, is somewhere on the light end to half a million, maybe up to two million people. They just, right? And they leave. And then there's this right great moment where Pharaoh realizes, what am I gonna do without free labor? And he, he sets out in pursuit. And there's this moment where the nation of Israel is on the banks of the Red Sea with the army of Egypt bearing down on them and the immovable object of the Red Sea in front of them. And they're like, Moses, why did you lead us out here to die? We would have been fine and we didn't even want to leave. Moses is such a better person than I am. I'd have been like, false. No, I was in Midian with sheep and then a, a bush was burning, but not. And God told me, you were crying. Thus, I'm here. And so there they are, what are we gonna do? And then you know the story, God parts the sea and they cross on dry land Then Egypt pursues and the waters fall on them and then they're in the wilderness and, and, and there's no water and Moses strikes a rock and water comes out of it and then there's no food and they're, they're, just, they're just complaining, right? I mean, Pastor Jason and I were talking earlier, we're so thankful that church folk don't complain anymore. <laughs> 25 years, I've never heard a complaint. I, I, I got to tell you this. This is a little ADD moment. I got in trouble one time by my wife and I was preaching on the body of Christ. Every member is a part of the body. And preaching, I said, and some of you are the appendix. <laughs> I said, you know what that means? I'm not entirely sure what you do. I can live without you and you could blow up and kill me at any moment. <laughs> she said that that was too far. So anyways. <laughs> but... But they're, they're hungry, and then God brings down manna, which as a South Texan, I'm convinced was chips and salsa. And then they, 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 you know, what is it is that little manna, and then they want meat, and so God brings quail, and there's all of this, Moses just leading these people. And then Moses goes up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, and, and they think Moses has gone too long, and so they, they craft a golden calf to worship out of gold they took from Egypt, where they saw idol worship happening. And Moses just, he leads these people. And then there is this moment in Numbers chapter 20, not gonna turn there, but in Numbers chapter 20, there's this moment where God tells Moses to go out and speak to a rock 
because the people were complaining yet again about no water. And God says, go and speak to the rock. And Moses goes out with his staff, pop, pop, hits it twice, just like he did before. Water came out. Everybody was happy. And God spoke to Moses there and he said, you will not go to the promised land because you have broken faithfulness with me. This entire generation will not go. And just to, to kind of go back, I've just always been kind of bothered by it. I get the Israelites. They were jokers. They complained at every turn. They, they worshiped a calf. They, I mean, come on. But this, this is Mo. I mean, it's, it is, I mean, we just read in, in, in Deuteronomy 34, there has been no one like him. He was unparalleled. He had, he had struck the rock. He's just doing on what he's done before. It just, it just seems harsh. <laughs> but this is what I find so peculiar. If you'll just indulge me. I, th I think it's okay, by the way, to read the Bible with a sanctified imagination. It's not okay to add to it. But I think we can read it with a sanctified imagination. You see, in Exodus 3, where I read just a few minutes earlier, I read the, the, the calling of Moses. But again, if I would have kept reading, what you would have seen is when, Moses, when God told Moses, I'm gonna send you to Pharaoh, Moses argues with, the God, with God to the tune of five arguments. He's like, I'm gonna send you. No, 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 I, I'm not smart enough. No, 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 no one will listen to me. No, 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 I, I, I don't speak well. I don't talk good. That's what we, right? I, I, don't, I don't speak well. Five, he gives five arguments. Finally, the text says that the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Later on, after the whole golden calf thing, God was rightly angry with the Israelites. You can find this in Exodus 32, 33, 34. He's like, I am gonna wipe these fools out. And Moses, plead, we say he pleads with the Lord, right? Because we, we don't wanna say he argued. That sounds, we, we can't say the Bible saints argue, but listen to me, guys. My kids plead with me all the time. I call it arguing. God says, I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses pleads on behalf of the people. And just let me, just a quick theology lesson. We, we see it there in, in Exodus 32, 33, 34. We also see it in Numbers 14, where God says, I'll get you there, but I'm not going with you. And Moses says, no, if you don't go with us, how will people know that we're yours? And in the Exodus 32 through 34 passage and the Numbers 14 passage, it looks like somehow Moses changed God's mind. God's like, I'm wiping them out. And then Moses says, no, no, no. And then God says, oh, you're right, I won't. <laughs> and let me just do a, a quick, can I do a quick theology lesson? Beloved, we gotta remember that the Bible was written so human minds can understand the divine. It is my contention that Moses did not change God's mind. It is that God changed Moses to be the man he needed him to be. God needed a man. He wanted a man who would plead for the people who would be not, not just a prophetic leader, but a shepherd. God shaped Moses to be a leader who would plead for the people. God didn't change his mind, he changed his man. Where are you going with this, Chris? Let me wrap this up. Here is, here, here is my contention tonight. I believe if you read the life of Moses, I do not think that it is out of place to say that Moses demonstrated a propensity and a proclivity to argue with God. 
to state his case, to plead whatever you want to say. So why then, when Exodus 32 and God says, I'm going to take you up the mountain, I'm going to show you the promised land, which by the way, if you study the culture, that would have been the penultimate experience for a Hebrew male. This is what God promised Father Abraham. I mean, it's, it's Abraham, right? And, and we all know Abraham because he had many sons. And I'm one of them. So we should, yeah. It is a miracle that anyone got saved in the 80s. Because you could have walked into children's church and you, you didn't know if it was church or a cult. Right arm, you know. Anyways, sorry. Bring it in. But this, the promised land, was the penultimate experience for a Hebrew person. It was the promise of God to their father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here Moses, surveying the land of promise, and it's not like he's on death's door, because Deuteronomy 34 said, though he was 120 years old, the brother had good eyes, no LASIK surgery involved. He was full of vitality. He just climbed a mountain. I'm 45 when I struggle with that. So why would Moses, who had pled his case before, survey the land of promise and not at least offer, hey God, could we talk about this? I know that I struck the rock and you said to speak to it. And let me just be clear, I'm not downplaying disobedience, by the way. But I feel like after 32, chapter 32, Deuteronomy, we should see Moses say, okay, let's talk about it. I struck the rock, and, and, and I shouldn't have, and I apologize. But it's been a pretty good run. I mean, these pe- you, know, you know these people. And I led them, and I redirected them, and I corrected them. I prayed for them, and I pleaded for them. And now that I'm looking at the land of promise, I just, Lord, could we talk about whether or not I actually get to get, I mean, I just, I just, I just think it's interesting that Deuteronomy 32, God takes him up there and says, this is what's going to happen. You read 33, it's kind of like the closing story, and you get to 34, and boom, Moses dies. And I just think, why? How? This is what I want to leave you with. I believe because Moses practiced paying attention to the presence of God. Because he turned aside. He, he, he went to the tent of meeting. Beloved, the power of the story of Moses isn't the phenomenal miracles as great as they are. The power of the story of Moses is the intimacy with God. It's the abiding. And I believe because Moses practiced paying attention to the presence of God. I believe that resulted in Moses finding God's promise in his presence. What are you saying, Chris? I think Moses could survey the promised land and hear God, his father, say, you're not gonna go. You're gonna die here. And you're gonna be gathered to your people. Gathered to your people was a very Hebrew thought concept, but if we were to say it today, what it, would, what it would mean is this, gather to your people, you'll be in the presence of God. 
I think as Moses surveyed the land of promise, as much as maybe part of his heart wanted to go when God said, I'm gonna take you home, he didn't argue because all of the practice of paying attention, all of the turning aside, all of the tent of meeting moments, all of the pleading and praying, all of finding himself in God changed the promised land for him. I think at the end of Moses' life, the promised land wasn't a place, it was a person. It's the person of God. And so, so Moses found the presence of God and the promise of God to be the same thing. And beloved, I tell you this, God's got promises for you. He wants more for you than you could ever imagine. The late famous preacher, Adrian Rogers, says this. He says, God wants for you what you would want for you if you had the sense to want it. Did you love that? God wants for you what you would want for you if you had the sense to want it. You know what abiding does? It gives us the sense to want what God wants. It reshapes our heart's affections. It reorders our heart's desires so that those things that we think are the promised land, that great life, that secure retirement, that relationship, that marriage, the gift of children, all great things, but all second to Jesus. When we find his promise and his presence to be synonymous, we no longer settle for substitute promised lands. And that offer has been extended. We say, well, it's been too long and I've, I've been out of practice. It's never too late to start practicing, paying attention to God's presence. And as we get ready to worship and as you get some directions on where we're gonna go, I just wanna say this in closing before I pray. You may have walked with Jesus for years now and you just need to have that passion reignited and maybe tonight you can offer a prayer that God would meet you where you are. But maybe even though you've been around church, you're not sure that at this point in time you've actually received the presence of God, which is what we know as trusting Jesus as Savior. And maybe what's held you back, even though you're in church and doing great things, maybe what's held you back is you know your past and it seems so sordid and jaded and there's so much baggage. You say, Chris, you don't know what I've got. I, I gotta get a little better before I actually trust you. You don't know all the mess. Let me just say this in closing. You may be a phenomenal sinner, but I promise you Jesus is a better savior. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm thankful for our time tonight. I'm thankful for the opportunity we've had to sing praises in your presence. And God, I'm thankful for the truth that is your word. And I pray tonight as we worship that you would meet us where we are. I pray you would remind us of the promise that's found in your presence alone. And I pray tonight that we would believe that even in these closing few moments, if we would turn aside and pay attention to you, that tonight we can still continue to be transformed. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.